As you can all see, we're decked out here for the season of Advent and as we enter into Christmas. And I just want to say thank you to Jason and to our creative team for uh, making this place look so beautiful and spectacular. And I don't know about you, but it just hit me a little bit differently this morning walking into this space and seeing this because I know that for many of you, you're not even in your homes let alone with Christmas trees up and halls decked and eggnog in the fridge. And so I just found myself in the season and where we're kind of celebrating and anticipating Christmas that is well along the way, but, but in another sense, it's the furth- furthest thing from our minds. And so it's kind of this, this great antithesis that we're, that we're fighting with. This, this excitement that we have about the season and everything that it brings, but also the current circumstances that we're living in and just not really feeling the season. But as we start the season of Advent, which I, I shared with you uh, this past Monday, the word Advent is a Latin word which simply means coming or arrival. And so for those of us who are followers of Jesus, those of us who are Christians, we find ourselves in between two different realities this morning. In one sense, we find ourselves looking backwards at something that has already happened, that being the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. He came from heaven down to earth. He put on flesh as a helpless babe, and there he rose up as as an adult, and then he went to Golgotha, the land of the skull. There he stretched out his hands. He endured the cross, scorning its shame so that we could all be set free. He became sin who knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. All of that is past tense. All of it has already happened. But then also as Christians, we find ourselves looking forward and anticipating the day when Jesus Christ will come again in glory. And Scripture says the day that he comes, it will be the first day of the rest of our days in which he will wipe away every tear from our eyes where all things will be made new, where creation, as it once was, when God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day in the garden and everything was in perfect order, that will be as it is in glory with God once again, that everything will be made right. But here we are today, sitting in between those two time frames, looking back at the fulfilled promises of God and looking forward, anticipating, hoping for the future promises of God to come to pass. And so that is why for the Christian, during the season of Advent, the reason why we kind of lean into this season is to be reminded of the promises of God. We become people who are filled with longing and with, with hope and with expectation. And so, Really, every day is Advent for the Christian, isn't it? But in this season, we pay special attention to it. Why? So that we can steady our minds and calm our hearts in the midst of the storms of life. And so I say to you this morning that the season of Advent cannot come a moment too soon. We need this season right now. We need to be reminded 
of the promises of God in the midst of the challenges that we face. I mean, just look around the room for a second, and you will see just how many of the faces that we know are not here this morning, because many of them are still on evacuation alert, or evacuation order, or not in their homes. And so as a family of God, we're still grieving this. And that's not even taking into consideration all the other things that you personally might be walking through this morning. And so that's where we are as a church today. I also know that the month of December tends to be a season in which people are drawn to the church. It is the most well-attended month of the year. And so maybe, just maybe, you're here this morning because you've been dragged along by a friend or a family member, or or maybe you're here in this place or you're watching online because you're looking for something. Maybe you're looking for hope in the midst of the circumstances of the last two weeks. And so if that's you, I just want to very quickly say two things to you this morning. The first, I want to say welcome Thank you so much for for being here, and we would love the opportunity to learn your name and to hear your story. The second thing that I want to say to you is that you're in the right place. I want to let you know that this is a community that is centered on hope. You can look no further than the fact that more than a third of this congregation has been directly affected by these floods and they are still filled with hope. In one sense, they're not, they're not sticking their head in the sand and acting like it doesn't exist. They're grieving. They're entering in. But in another sense, they're not grieving in such a way that it is totally overwhelming them either. Because they have the hope of glory in their view. And, and the one thing I'm just so impressed with by this congregation is even the people who have been directly affected by this. Do you know what they've been doing the last couple of weeks? <laughs> they've been helping others. That's what they've been doing. Even in the midst of their own tragedy and their own struggles, they're entering into the brokenness of all the other people around them. And for, for anyone who's on the outside looking into this, they're like, what kind of Kool-Aid are they drinking? Let me tell you, these are people who are filled with hope. Filled with that eager anticipation that God is on his way and he's going to make all things new. And so on this, the first day of Advent, we're looking at this theme of hope. It might be a a good reminder to some of us, maybe to most of us, like, like a balm on a weary soul, or it could be new for some of you. Maybe, maybe for some of you who are here or who are watching online, you're going to say, I haven't heard hope be explained that way before. Very different than the way that I was raised to think about it. So let me start by making an assessment of every single person who's listening to me right now. Even though I, I know many of you very well, some of you I might not know at all. There's something that I know about you. Every single person who is here has placed their hope in something. Every single one of us have placed our hope, our foundation, in something. We've all done that, haven't we? And here's the thing. Many of us have placed our hope in things that are fleeting, on unshaky ground, and you've begun to experience that. 
and it's been causing you to struggle, struggle and to wonder why. And now you're looking for a more firm foundation in the midst of that. For some of us, we have placed our hope maybe in a person or in a group or in a government or in an ideology or in a system. And, and maybe for others, you've placed your hope ultimately in yourself, in your own success, a, a future promotion, acceptance into a, a university or a college, or into your RSP, hoping that you can build up enough of an, a nest egg so that you can secure yourself and secure your future. We use all of these things in our lives in trying to find hope, trying to find security, trying to find peace, trying to find rest. It reminds me of uh, an old TV show that came out when I was literally one year old, Lonesome Dove. I just made a lot of you feel really old. Lonesome Dove came out in uh, 1989. Any of you watched that show? Yeah, a few of you. This is something that I find so interesting. There was this one old cowboy by the name of Augustus McRae, and he was talking to another cowboy by the name of Jake Spoon, and he made a promise to his beloved that he would take her out of this old, dusty town, and he would bring her to the place where her heart longed to be, which was San Francisco. But Augustus McRae knowing that Jake Spoon was a bit of a scandalous character who was untrustworthy, he went up to her and he said something absolutely astounding. Here's, here's what he said. I put it on the screen. He says to her, Jake is too leaky of a vessel to put much hope in. Hear what he's saying? He's too leaky of a vessel to put your hope in. Don't put all your trust in this guy. He's going to come up wanting. And then he says later... But all vessels leak to some degree. All vessels leak to some degree. Isn't that true? In our own lives, to think about where you and I have been placing our hope, whatever it might be, we think that it will ultimately fill us up and satisfy our souls, but then it doesn't. And so we think to ourselves, maybe I just got to double down on my efforts. Maybe I got to try harder. I got to work harder. And finally, one day the veil will be opened and I will attain the hope that I've been longing for for so many years of my life. That is what I need. But here's the thing. Look right at me. This side of heaven all the things that you have been placing your hope in leak to some degree. All the things that you've been placing your hope in leak to some degree. And that's why in those moments of need, those moments of panic, those moments of unmet expectations, you say, what's going on? I thought this would give me the security that I need. And then it crumbles underneath your feet. It's what the Bible calls idolatry. Now, I know that's a word that we really only use in church. It's a bit of a churchy word, but here's what it means. If you're a member of Gateway, you already know what I'm about to say. This is our definition of a leaky vessel, our definition of idolatry. It's when you make a good thing a God thing, and on account of that, it becomes a tainted and terrible thing. Because the, the thing about creation is, creation is always meant to be a vessel, a gateway, an avenue into which you can go past that thing and to see God for who he truly is. 
But if you stop at the object, whatever it may be, something that God has made, it will always leave you wanting because that's not what it was made for. It was made so that you could see God more fully and you could worship him and commune with him and have a relationship with him. But if you stop at his created things, it will leave you empty. So here's the question that I want to propose to you on the first day of Advent. I put it this way. If everything leaks hope, then what or who can hold my hope? If everything leaks hope, then what or who can hold my hope? Now, hope is a word that we use in our everyday vernacular, right? And more often than not, we use it as kind of synonymous with wishful thinking, right? Don't we do that? Let me give you some examples of this. We say things like, we hope the kids will adjust into school. Or in the season of Christmas, we hope the in-laws don't stay too long. Or tonight, we hope we have some pizza, or we hope the Canucks will win a hockey game. Or we hope we're going to lose some weight. Or we hope the stock market holds. See, that's, that's the way that we talk about our hope. But each of the 200 times that it is used in Scripture, it's not wishful thinking. Not even close. So I went to my kids this week and I asked them what they thought hope was. I just wanted to kind of get a sense of what I'm communicating to my kids during devotions, you know, during our, our Bible time, if any of it's clicking, right? So I went to my youngest first. I want to share some of these answers with you. I asked my kids, what's hope? Started off with Kate, my youngest. She just turned three. I said, Kate, what is hope? And she said to me, nothing. Okay, great. I'll move on to the next kid. So I went on to Noah. He's four. I said, Noah, what's hope? He said, uh, love God. All right, we're off to a great start here. I'm going to move on to my six-year-old, Jaina. Jaina, help us out here. Jaina, what's hope? And without missing a beat, she says, I hope I don't have to go to school. And at this point, I'm like feeling pretty deflated as a parent, especially as a parent who's a pastor, because clearly none of my kids are getting this. But then the child, the oldest child, Liam, he comes through. He overhears the conversation that I'm having with Jaina, and I'm so impressed with what he says, I write it down right away, and I'm going to put it on the screen so that you can see exactly what he says. He says, no, Jaina, hope in the world is I wish, but hope in the church is waiting for something we know is going to happen in the future. And I'm like, yes, that's my kid. He takes after his mother. So that's exactly what I put in your note sheet. What is hope? Hope in the world, says Liam, the scholar, the author. He says, I wish. But hope in the church, he says, is waiting for something I know will happen in the future. A confident expectation that God will do what he says he will do. This contagious enthusiasm for the promises that God has made now about our future that we can take to the bank that we know ultimately will happen. A sure and certain knowledge of what has not yet come to pass. That is Christian hope. And last week, we looked at the theme of hope pretty in depth, didn't we? It wasn't the sermon at the beginning of the week I thought I was going to give, but God knew. God knew where we would be from Sunday two weeks ago to Sunday last week. 
And this week, we find ourselves in Advent looking once again at hope. And we spent most of our time last week looking at God's promises for the future. We saw that even in the midst of everything that we're facing today, we can be confident that God will do what he says he will do in the future. We can be confident in the promise. And so today, here's what I want to do. I kind of want to flip the coin and to look at it from the other side. I want us to focus on God's fulfilled promises of the past to prove his trustworthiness in the present in regards to the promises that he makes about the future. Because it's only when we see the track record of who God is and what he says will we be confident about what he says he will do in the future. Isn't that true? Let me give you uh, just one example of this. Maybe the best example is promises that parents make to their kids. So if you are a parent who doesn't follow through on your promises to your kids, or if you had a parent who didn't follow through on promises, then maybe that would make you a little bit shaky about the promises that your parents are making about the future. Isn't that true? Your track record matters, even to a kid. And so if a kid has this kind of confident expectation that my parents always do what they say they will do, they always come through in the clutch, they're always straight with me, they always fulfill their promises, then when they make a new promise, it's going to anchor them, even in the midst of the uncertainty of their life or whatever they're thinking in their mind. And here's what we know about God. God is that way all the time. God has a flawless track record when it comes to fulfilled promises. God has never broken a promise. And it it doesn't take long to recognize that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. This, This week is a really great example of this. Did you know that right now in B.C., we're dealing with not one, not two, but three different state of emergencies all at the same time. The flood, of course, COVID-19, and the opioid crisis. Three different state of emergencies all at the same time. And it was only three months ago that you could add the fires of BC as a state of emergency. So we've had four in the course of three months and we're living in three right now. That's just as a broader community, whether or not that has immediately impacted your personal life or not. That's what everyone in our community is dealing with. So there's a lot of hopelessness. And that's not even taking into consideration increased inflation and and prices all around us and the instability within the market. And that's not even taking into consideration what you personally might be dealing with. Maybe you're one of the families in our congregation who has not been affected by the floods you still have issues? Maybe you're in a loveless marriage. Maybe you have defiant children. Maybe you feel like your life is a series of unmet expectations. Or maybe it's simply the advancing age of years and not even recognizing your own body and grieving that over time. Maybe it's a recent diagnosis of yourself or someone that you love. See, here's what we know. Our entire province is grieving. Our community is grieving. And even most of us in this room individually are grieving. 
And we're bringing all of that here in this place right now. We are a community that needs, that desperately needs hope right now. But here's what we know. When we look around at the world and we see the brokenness and the decay and the dying and the death, Christians are not surprised by this. Christians aren't surprised. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Genesis in your Bible. It's the very first book in your Bible to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And while you're looking for that, let me just set the stage. In Genesis chapter 1, in beautiful imagery, we see that God created the vast universe in beautiful array. And at the end, when his creation was put together, he said repeatedly, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is perfect. There is wholeness. There is completion. God made it in such a way that humans could flourish and grow and have communion with God. And Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. Everything is perfect. But in an instant, all of that changes. Adam and Eve disobey. And on account of that, sin and brokenness and rebellion flood into the human heart. And everything begins to unravel and to decay in that very moment. But here's what I always find so remarkable about Scripture. Immediately after this, you would think after God has made this beautiful creation that everything is perfect, that if someone would cause harm to that, that he would ultimately wipe them out, or he would at least reprimand them. But here's what we see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This is immediately after this, their disobedience. He doesn't immediately look to Adam and Eve. He doesn't scold them yet. He doesn't take them out of the garden yet. You know what he does? He has a conversation with the enemy. Chapter 3, verse 15. God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head. Who's he? He's talking about Jesus. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. So what is God saying? Even after human beings fall into sin, he doesn't start with scolding Adam and Eve. He doesn't start with throwing them out of the garden. He starts with a promise of rescue. He starts with the gospel He turns to the enemy and he declares for all of creation to hear that evil and sin and darkness and decay and death will not have the final word. That hope is on the way. That rescue is on the way. That God will redeem his people through his power, through his salvation, not through our effort, Not through all the things that we can do individually or collectively as a human body. No, we can't do it. God enters in and he declares that he will save the day. And just like then, it it, it didn't happen right away, did it? The people of Israel had to endure suffering of many kinds while they waited. Here are some of the things that they had to endure. Slavery, exile, torment, catastrophes, dying, death. And through it all, the people of Israel, they spoke of the promised redeemer, the rescuer, from one generation to the next. 
They said, these are the promises that God made all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and God will fulfill his promises. There will come a day when the Messiah will come, and he will rescue us from the power of sin and death. And here's the thing that I find kind of interesting sometimes, and the opportunity that I have as a pastor is to walk alongside people, and I've often heard in my almost 10 years in ministry, folks say, if I could just see a miracle, if I could just see some supernatural miracle, then I would know that God is who he says he is. And so it's hard for me, Justin, to fully trust and and to fully know, but let me just share something with you for a moment. The people of Israel never experienced what you and I collectively know. And what is that? That God ultimately fulfilled his promise by going to the cross. Yes, the people of Israel, they they experienced the parting of the Red Sea. Yeah, they saw manna come down from heaven and feed them in the wilderness. They saw fire by night and a cloud by day. They saw Jericho crumble to the ground just by a shout. They experienced those things, but you know what they didn't experience? The fulfilled promise of the Messiah doing what he said he will do. And on this side of history, we can see it clearly with our own eyes that God has fulfilled his promises. These were the things that they hoped for, the things that they longed for, that their eyes never saw. And we can see it clearly. So let me just share a couple passages of Scripture that that highlight the things that they knew. These were the things that they clung to. And if you want to take note of this, you can read the context later. They knew the Messiah would be born in the line of David. That's Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. They knew the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. That's Genesis chapter 49. They knew the Messiah would come from the town of Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5. They knew he would be a man of sorrows, crushed, despised, rejected, justifying many through what he suffered. That's Isaiah 53. They knew the Messiah would be a light who overcame the darkness. That's Isaiah 9. So they had promises. They had hope. But their eyes could not see what your and my eyes now see clearly, that God never breaks his promises. What God says, he will do. What God says, he will do. And so, yes, in this season of Advent, I I want us to be reminded of these familiar truths to support our weary hearts and our agonizing souls. So if you have your Bible still, I want you to flip ahead to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10 starting at verse 19. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Look at these incredible words. Knowing that we're on this side of history, that we have now seen that Jesus has gone to the cross, here's what the author says. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, how? By the blood of Jesus Christ, he's already paid the way by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. 
let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Circle, highlight, underline, all caps, squiggly mark, whatever you do, I have this underlined in my Bible. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. So let me tell you something that makes the heart of a Christian sing. Let me tell you something that Christians here already know, which has sustained many of our families over the course of the last two weeks and is sustaining us right now. I put it this way in your note sheet. Our anchor in the midst of life is this. Hope is not based on probabilities. It is based on promises. Hope is not based on the probabilities of this world. It is based on the promises of God. And that makes our hearts sing. Because we know when we look around the world, we look at the circumstances of our life, if your hope is based on probabilities, do you know what you're going to do? You're going to constantly look at your stock market picks. And maybe this week, you know what I've been doing every like six hours? I've been checking the weather. Have you? I've been looking at the five-day, seven-day, 10K forecasts. I don't even live in that zone, but I know it affects so many of us. That's where I'm constantly going, constantly getting the refresh. And then I'm praying, God, please don't bring that much rain. And you just see like how our hearts start fleeting in those moments. Regardless of, of where you might place your hope. You know, for those of you who say, you know what, my hope is, is in my financial income or my RSP or my TFSA or in the stock market, you know what you're doing? You're constantly checking the feed. Or if you want the approval of others, you're constantly checking your social media. How many likes am I getting? We can just feel it in our own hearts that we're constantly drawn to these things for our hope and our satisfaction and our joy and our peace and our security. They're all fleeting. All of them are fleeting. And so our hope is not based on probabilities. It is based on the fulfilled promises of God. That's our anchor. That's what sustains us in the midst of the tragedies of our life. All the hope that you and I have down here, it doesn't come close. It is so fleeting. But with the hope that God brings there is certainty of what has not yet come to pass. And that's the reason why we read what we read in Titus chapter 1. It says this, This is the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, I love that, God who cannot lie, promised before the beginning of time. So when he promises to do things, he will. And you might say, Justin, like, how can you be sure? How can you know that? Isn't that still a wish? Because it's something that hasn't happened yet. God hasn't returned. Isn't that kind of like any other hope that we place our life in? That ultimately it's based on a maybe, a probability? Do we know for sure? Here's, here's the one thing that, that I would say to you if you ask me that question. God has never broken a promise. His track record is flawless. And the promises that he makes, they're not weak. He doesn't just say, yeah, I'll help you from time to time. No, he says, I'll send my one and only son into the world. He will put on flesh. He will dwell among you. And then he will go to the cross. 
He will scorn its shame so that you can be bought back, you can be redeemed, and you can have communion with me. And do you think that God is going to give up on you now? Like after he created you, he knit you together in your mother's womb, he sent his one and only son into the world to take the cross, there he died and rose again, he ascended into heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit now lives in you, you think now he's going to give up? Of course not. And that's ultimately what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Let me tell you something, if God was ever going to give up on you, it would have been before the cross. It would have been Jesus standing there about to go to Golgotha and he might say to himself, it's not worth it. Why would I die for you? You're like spitting on the cross right now and I know in the future you'll do it too. Why would I carry through with this? Beam me up, God but he doesn't. Even the centurion soldiers, they say, he saved others. Why can't he save himself? Why can't he beam himself up? He could. But he stayed for them. He stayed for you. He stayed for me. He pictured your face, your radiant face, and he said, I will stay for you. And so we know, based on his track record of the past, he will do what he says he will do in the future. And that is why we collectively look to God for our hope. God said that he will do these things. His son will return in glory. You really are forgiven and set free. You really will be made new with a new glorified body. You will really, God really will redeem all things in his time. All things will be beautified, magnified, glorified. All those things will happen. And so our hope is not based on probabilities. And that is why we can hold to hope unswervingly. You know what that word communicates? Even when life tears you down. Even when you face a one in a 400 year flood, you can still cling to hope. And see, that, that's ultimately why I'm so proud of this church, because not by your own power, but by God's grace, you have lived through real pain and real suffering and real agony, and you've leaned into this hope. And because of the hope that you have, you have been caring for others. And here's what I love about the passage that we're looking at this morning. It's going to show that if we are a hope-filled community, these are the types of things that we should come to expect. Look at your Bible again with me at verse 24. Verse 24 and 25 are going to show us if the Holy Spirit is working in us individually and corporately as a church, here's what we're going to see. Verse 24, and let us consider how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. So there's four descriptions of a hope-filled life that is identified here. If the Holy Spirit is working in your life and you have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, if the Holy Spirit's working in you, 
Here are the things that we're going to see. Number one, we're going to be a community that does a lot of considering. Considering. Let us reflect on how we can look at the friends around us and lead them to more loving character. And I love how over the course of the last couple of weeks, you have jumped in to considering others. I love the fact that, as I've mentioned to you already, even for those of you who have had pretty agonizing weeks, you've just been considering others. How can I help the other people around me? How can I support others? How can we lean on one another? And here's the second thing that we see, spurring. I love this word, spurring. You know what a spur is, right? It's something that agonizes. It's something that torments And so maybe a a helpful translation of this Greek word would be to irritate in a good way. How do you irritate in a good way? Well, it is to lovingly enter into one another's business, right? With, With the eyes of Christ, not with your own motives in mind, but with the eyes of Christ upon you, how do you enter into someone else's pain and suffering, right? So maybe a good example of this is like a parent as they're trying to help their kid do their homework. The kid just wants to run off, has no interest. You put your arm around them. You guide them. You support them, right? And one of the things that I have heard repeatedly over the last couple of weeks is I would hear someone say, Justin, you know what? I I don't have a really easy time asking for help. But a member of Gateway would call me and say, hey, I'm here to help and I'm not taking no for an answer. And they just enter in. And Justin, that's what I needed. So you're spurring. You're making their problems your problems. You're making their business your business. You're you're entering into the pain. And you're saying, I'm here to irritate in a good way because I love you. Here's the third thing we're going to see. Encouraging. Encouraging is another great Greek word. It's parakaleo. The word para means to come alongside, and the word kaleo means to call. So ultimately what it means is to empathetically put yourself into someone else's shoes to make their suffering your suffering, to come alongside and to give them what they need, to encourage, to support, to suffer with. And then finally, number four, working. If you're really involved in this kind of one another ministry, it's not going to culminate just in a Sunday morning service. We come together, we sing, we hear the word of God proclaimed, and we go about our business. No, we're going to work together as a holy and distinct community that supports one another and encourages one another, makes each other's business our own business, not with our own eyes, but with the eyes of Christ. And as I've said to you already, I've seen this. And so what that means for me is that the Holy Spirit is at work in this place. Even in the midst of, of the things that we might be experiencing, God is here in our midst. And we all individually and collectively look to God for hope because he is a God of hope who has an unending supply of it. And so where your hope may be feeble and weak and frail, God says, come to me. I have an unending supply of hope and I will fill you up. And for those of you who are already filled with hope, God says, I've got more for you. Lean in so that the hope that you have will be 
pressed down and pouring over the sides so it begins to splatter on everyone else around you. And they experience the hope that you have. God says, I always have more hope. There's always more hope that I can give you. Even, listen, listen. Do you hear it? Do you hear the rain tinkling on the roofs, our tin roofs? Does it unsettle you? Even in the midst of what we're experiencing right now, we can still be people filled with hope that God will do what he says he will do. And we can lean in to those moments. And so before we close, I want to lay out two things for you. Two kind of take-home assignments, if you will. Two things I want you just to consider. The first one is this. I want to encourage you to courageously identify the misplaced hopes in your life. They're going to be different for all of us, but as I shared with you already, we've all placed our hope in something, and everything on this side of heaven leaks hope to some degree. And so let me just encourage you for a moment, because I I love you as a brother in the Lord. I don't want you to keep going down that path where ultimately it won't satisfy And so take some time today, this week, and to say, what are the areas where I have misplaced my hope? You might even consider writing them down. And what I'd really encourage you to do is to come alongside another Christian that you trust and to say, these are the areas where I'm struggling. These are the areas where I have misplaced my hope. Give them to the Lord and say, God, I've taken the steering wheel again, and I give this back to you. Please be my hope. Be my foundation. And that's for those of us who are followers of Jesus. But maybe for some of you, you've never had that conversation with God or you've kind of fallen off that path and God at one point maybe was your hope, but you've kind of fallen away from that. And so here's my second encouragement to you is to do this, to accept the free gift of hope that only God can give God, right now, he's offering you an incredible gift. He says, come to me, those of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, unending rest, regardless of what you might experience today, tomorrow, the rest of your days. I will sustain you. More than that, I'll fill you with my Holy Spirit. More than that, there will come a day when I will make all things new and you will be drawn to me. I will wipe away the tears from your eyes and I will make all things new. That is the offer that God gives to you today. And so my encouragement to you is to reach out and to accept God's good and perfect gift. Today, we can still identify with those same feelings that the people of Israel had. Feelings of hopelessness and helplessness and misery and agony. But all the while, what will sustain us is the promises of God that have been fulfilled and will be fulfilled in the future. That is our hope. The reason we celebrate Advent is because the story in the garden does not end in tragedy. It ends with a promise that God will make all things new in his time. In his time. Let me pray for you. 
Heavenly Father, we hear it. We hear the rain. It unsettles us. We ask, Lord, that you would give us hope. The hope that only you can bring in the midst of what we're experiencing. We thank you, Lord, that you always come near the brokenhearted. You always enter into our pain. And we thank you, God, that you are a God who always fulfills his promise. And we see that. We see that in King Jesus, who came as a helpless babe, who went to the cross and died for our sakes. And what's more, we know that you will come again in glory. And so even in what we face today, whatever it may be, we have a firm foundation. Lord, give us what we need. Help us to be a church that is filled with hope, pressed down, pushed over the sides, so that it splatters all over everyone around us. Even in this, Lord, build your church. Do what you say you will do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.